Welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Micro. I hope you had a great week. As always, Let's Talk Micro is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pandora, Stitcher, Tuning Radio, Amazon Music, Ghana App, Good Pods, whatever you listen to your podcast, you can find Let's Talk Micro. I am on LinkedIn as Luis Plaza, P-L-A-Z-A, on Instagram as Let's Talk Micro, no apostrophe, and on Twitter as Let's Talk Micro 1. So go ahead and subscribe to the podcast, download episodes, follow me on social media, leave any feedback, any topic suggestions. Those are always welcome and appreciated. I always like to post pictures of organisms on the social media and give updates as to when the next episode is coming out. So go ahead and follow, subscribe, leave feedback, comments. It's all welcome. If you haven't listened to the previous episode, go ahead and do so. I started going over tips and suggestions. You know, these are things that I have done while working on the bench. And it's just basically things that you can do when you're having a hard time isolating an organism. Um, I, want, I want the audience to start thinking in terms of, you know, know what your media is. Learn the components. That way, sometimes, you know, even though a media, some sort of agar has a specific purpose, you might be able to use it for something else. And a great example was that I talked about PEA, you know, phenyl ethyl alcohol agar. You know, it's a blood, blood agar plate that has phenyl ethyl alcohol, and it is used for, you know, the selection of gram-positive organisms. But it also has a purpose that it helps out when you're trying to isolate Pseudomonas aeruginosa. It is a great medium for it. When you have a mixed, mixed culture, look for your PEA, you know, look for those white colonies, do a gram stain. If they are GNRs, do an oxidase test, and if it's positive, go ahead and sub it out to blood so you can properly confirm that it is Pseudomonas aeruginosa. And in addition to that, always be careful when you're using PEA and you're looking at gram-positive cocci, that sometimes, you know, the morphology, that's the hemolysis more specifically, is not the same for some organisms. Great example was Enterococcus faecalis, that it is, it can look beta-hemolytic on PEA, but then on blood agar, it's gamma-hemolytic. And yes, granted, some strains of Enterococcus faecalis, they are beta-hemolytic, but mostly they are gamma. So always make sure that, you know, keep that in mind when you're looking at a PEA. The same for some species of coagulase negative staph, that they can look beta-hemolytic on PEA, but then they're gamma on blood agar. Now, what happens if we don't have PEA? You know, we talked about the shortages of supplies. Sometimes, you know, they're in back order. So what if you're out of PEA and maybe one of your sister or a nearby hospitals, you know, they're going through the same thing, so they don't have PEA. So what do you do if you need to isolate a gram-positive cocci or recover it? You know, let's refer to that culture where you have many gram-negatives growing on the plate. Maybe some proteus is swarming all over. And your gram stain says that 
detects a 2 plus gram positive cocci. So what do you do? You're out of PEA, you're out of CNA, which is also an agar for gram positive. So, and we still need to rule out that cocci. I mean, we need to see if it's skin flora or is it a pathogen like Staph aureus or an Enterococcus faecalis? Well, you can do a couple of things, you know. Keep, keep in mind that, you know, they may not work if there are too many organisms on that sample, but it could help. These are things, remember, that these are like last resorts. So, unfortunately, when you're going this way, results will be somewhat delayed because of the process. But at least, hopefully, you'll be able to isolate that organism. So, you remember the limb broth, right? I talk about limb broth and how it is used in relation to group beta strep. If you need a refresher, or maybe you don't remember, or you haven't checked it out at all, go ahead and check out episode 37 of this podcast. In that episode, I go ahead and talk about limb broth. So what is limb broth? Well, limb broth is Todd Hewitt broth that has been supplemented with antibiotics. It has peptones, dextrose, and salts. It has yeast extract, which provides the nutrients and vitamins to stimulate growth. And it also has natalixic acid and cholestine. Now, do you remember what these do? Well, they inhibit the growth of gram-negative organisms. And then granted, they are organisms that are intrinsically resistant to cholestine. Our friend, our swarming friend produce being one of them. But not all of them are. So you can place some of your sample on the limb broth and then incubate it for a day. Then you can sub this to a blood plate and check for gram-positive cocci. Now, like I said, this is not ideal. There are going to be some delays. But um, however, you know, this, at this point in time, you don't have any supplies. So some delay is better than not being able to rule out that organism, especially you know, if it's the one that's causing the infection. So when I talk about delays, you know, it's going to take some additional time because you are plating your sample to the limb broth and then you have to incubate it, you know, 18, 24 hours. And then if you have a gram-positive cocci, let's say that it's mixed with some organisms, then you have to sub it out so it takes you another day. So these conditions, you know, they're less than ideal. It might not completely work, so keep that in mind. But at least it's something that you can try when you have no way of obtaining a CNA or a PEA plate. So a little trick to keep, that, keep in mind based on what you know about media about the components of the limb broth and that might help, might help you out when you're trying to recover the gram-positive cocci. Now, what about if we don't have limb broth? You have produce, the swarming is taking over. What can you do? Well, another option is to inoculate a blood plate and incubate it anaerobically. And at the same time, you know, you're subbing out your organism, the one that maybe you're trying to isolate or trying to recover from underneath the produce. So you can do a, a aerobic blood plate and an anaerobic blood plate. And then sometimes, you know, anaerobically the swarming is diminished. So you might be able to get to the organism before the swarming takes over. 
And also something that you can do is, and this is good practice if you are doing this method, you know, you typically incubate the organisms, you know, the blood, the agar, 18 to 24 hours. So maybe go ahead and go in early. You get that plate in, maybe check it, you know, about 10 hours in. You might be able to see the organism before the swarming completely takes over. And at that point in time, so about that organism to a blood plate. And then the next day, go ahead and proceed to do your testing. So something to keep in mind. Those of us that work in the lab, you know, we have a hard time sometimes, you know, isolating myroides. And those of you that do work with cultures know the pain and frustration that happens when we cannot get that myroides by itself. So what is myroides? It is a gram-negative run. It is environmental. And we occasionally see it in cultures. When we do see it, it is seen in wounds, blood, and respiratory specimens. It is oxidase positive. And the textbooks say that it has difficulty growing on McConkie agar. But from what I have seen, at least the MAC that we use in the lab, which is like the MAC2, um, it typically does not grow on it. So we have to rely on the blood plate. We have a blood plate, and then guess what happens? Typically, when you have myroides, you also have proteus. So there comes the proteus again to swarm all over. I mean, if you're a student, you're, start, you're starting to see how difficult can proteus makes, make things in the lab. So when you have a myroides, you also have a proteus. So it makes it very hard to isolate the myroides, right? Because you don't have that MAC. You're subbing to blood. So what can we do? Well, go ahead and think about Neisseria gonorrhea and Neisseria, Neisseria meningitidis. And don't think about it in terms of, you know, the organisms themselves, their pathogenesis. Think about what kind of media we use in the recovery. I'll give you a second. So if you are thinking of modified Thayer Martin and Martin Lewis, you are correct. So we have, you know, in the lab, you know, we have a genital culture, or maybe we have a wound culture that the source is genital, and we use an MTM, modified Thayer Martin, or a Martin Lewis. So let's go ahead and talk about this agar real quick. What is MTM? Well, modified Thayer Martin, it's a selective and enriched media that is used to isolate Neisseria gonorrhea and Neisseria meningitis. It is an enriched agar, like I said. So the enrichment portion is provided by the chocolate agar. The selective portion is provided by antibiotics. So it has vancomycin to inhibit gram-positive bacteria. Then we have nystatin to inhibit yeast. We have cholestine to inhibit gram-negative rods. And as of right now, you're thinking, well, Louis, you did say that Proteus is intrinsically resistant to cholestine. Well, this medium has trimethoprim, which actually inhibits the swarming of Proteus. So if there's Proteus, it will grow, but it doesn't swarm. And then Martin Lewis, it's basically the same as a modified Thayer Martin, but it has a higher concentration of vancomycin 
and instead of nystatin, you have ansamycin. And this medium is intended for Neisseria gonorrhea. So you have MTM for Neisseria gonorrhea and Neisseria meningitis, and Martin Lewis for Neisseria gonorrhea. So what you do is, if you have that colony that maybe looks like a myroides but it's mixed, go ahead and sub it to an MTM or ML. And then go ahead and check out after maybe the same thing, like I said, with the limb broth, maybe from 8 to 10 hours. Go ahead and check out. If you see the colonies by themselves, go ahead and sub them to a blood plate. And that should eliminate the produce problem. I have tried this and it worked. And I wasn't sure if it was going to work, so that's why I went ahead and I, I kept checking. So I checked maybe at 8 hours and then at 10. And just in case I saw that the organism was by itself. So then I went ahead and subbed it out to a blood plate. So this is a really good, good tool when you're trying to isolate amyroides. So what about cases when you try to isolate the organism? but it keeps coming up mixed with another one. So you have to try a different medium, you know, it just, it doesn't, it's just, it's not happening. The second one, you know, it keeps coming up. Like, uh, let's say you have two gram-negative rods and one of them is stenotrophomonas, but you can isolate it. And I saw a case like this. You had PSA, Pseudomonas aeruginosa, and a steno, and the steno could not be isolated. You know that stenotrophomonas is a gram-negative run, and it's a very significant organism. You know, it survives on hospital equipment, and it has a high level of intrinsic resistance, a very high one. You know, you typically, you put it on a Vitec, and, you know, it gives you um, SXT, and it gives you ceftacidine or uh, levofloxacin, and that's all about it, because it doesn't have all the other antibiotics, you know, Stenotrophomonas is intrinsically resistant to them. So what do you do? You know, you definitely need to rule out stenotrophomonas. If you have it, you need to report it with susceptibilities. So this is where you go ahead and think about your susceptibilities. Think about intrinsic resistance. What I did was, you know, I saw that the Pseudomonas aeruginosa you know, the susceptibility was already done. And I saw that in the susceptibility profile, it was susceptible to meropenem. Well, guess what? The stenotrophomonas is intrinsically resistant to meropenem. So we went ahead and sub out your steno, you know, the one that you're trying to isolate, and then put a meropenem disc. So what happened was, then the pseudomonas grew away from the meropenem, and then the stenotrophomonas grew close to the meropenem disc. And then at that point in time, we had enough colonies to go ahead and sub out the stenotrophomonas to a blood agar plate, and then the next day, susceptibilities were performed. So this type of thinking, you know, I want to encourage technologists to have them. You know, it doesn't appear overnight. You know, you don't become a microbiologist overnight. You know, it's just a lot of repetition, repetition. But something very important is to get familiarized with your organisms, 
your sources, and all the resources that you need to know to do your job. You know, you don't need to memorize all the intrinsic resistant patterns, but at the very least, you know, know where your CLSI is in your lab. Know what your reference books are. You know, I have talked about CLSI. Typically, you have a binder in your lab, or, you know, you can go online. If you, if you type free CLSI M100, it points you to a website where you can see it there. So you can have it right there at your desktop. So this is the type of thinking that I want techs out there, I want microbiologists to have. Because it just, it makes us better at our job. And we should know it. You know, a little bit of a pet peeve that I have is when you as a tech, you text your supervisor uh, because you have a question. And of course, if you have questions, always ask. But at the very least, sometimes, you know, those questions that we text, it's because we're not looking at the resources we have. You know, by knowing your intrinsic resistance or knowing where to look for it, you, you might not have to text your supervisor. This is something that you can be perfectly capable of doing it. And of course, if you are unsure about something, by all means, ask someone. But what I'm trying to say is, get into this type of thinking about knowing your media, knowing your organisms, knowing your susceptibility patterns. And you don't have to memorize it, but at least know where the information is. So in case you have a question, you can go over there. So let's go ahead and talk about media and assumptions. You know, I said that assuming in the lab is a big no-no. So do not assume that because a media is intended for the use of a certain organism, that it is exclusive for those organisms. Great example is the PEA and how it relates to Pseudomonas aeruginosa. So I talked about this before, but do not assume that white colonies that are not growing, you know, on, that are growing on blood, that they're a GPC, a gram-positive cocci. They can be GPR or they can be a yeast. You know, instruments like the Vitec, you know, they can produce an erroneous ID when you set up an organism. For example, when you set up a GPR on a gram-positive card, a lot of times it will ID as cocoria, and that is inaccurate. That's like the default ID. So this is why a gram stain is such an essential tool in the lab. You know, the same thing with gram-negative rods. Do not assume that because they do not grow MAC, that that's because, because something doesn't grow MAC, that it is not a gram-negative rod. You know about pastorella and other gram-negative rods that they do not grow on McConkey agar. And speaking of McConkey agar, did you know that some yeast can actually grow MAC? So the colonies are pinpoint, but don't assume that because it is growing on MAC, it is a gram-negative rod. Yes, of course, granted, you know, you have more than one plate in your culture, so you can compare and contrast. But sometimes, you know, just keep in mind that if you're trying to find a yeast, sometimes, you know, the McConkie is a good place to look for it. And another place where you can find yeast is your shaler's agar. Remember that on the podcast on episode 22, to be more specific, I talked about anaerobic media. So shalers, you know, with canamizing and vancomycing, it is used for 
recovering anaerobic gram-negative rods because you know it has it has peptones, it has yeast extract, it has hemin, which uh, anaerobic organisms they need, and at the same time it has canamycin and vancomycin. And as you know, vancomycin inhibits the growth of gram-positive organisms, especially cocci. So this medium is a lot of times, you know, you can see yeast growing on it. So if you're looking for yeast, maybe you don't find it aerobically, you're looking at the culture, and it says that yeast was seen. If your culture has anaerobes, go ahead and check out your shaler's plate. Your yeast might be growing on it. And also, since uh, shaler's has vancomycin, a place where you can find a vancomycin-resistant enterococcus is your shalers too. So keep that in mind. Let's say if your patient has a history of a VRE and you cannot recover it on your aerobic plates, check your shalers plate because it might be there. And as I am talking about enterococcus, one thing that I want to tell the audience is that I mentioned that, right? That enterococcus fecalis on the PEA can be hemolytic. So this is why you should not do a strep typing from a PEA plate. I saw a case once where there was an enterococcus that was beta hemolytic, and then the tech did some typing, and it actually agglutinated, but it was a false, a false agglutination. So you should never type, you know, do strep typing from a PEA because it can produce misleading results. When you have a strep that's growing on a PEA, ID it via Molotov, um, via Vitec, and if you don't have that, you know, sub it out to a blood agar plate, and then once you have it on blood agar, and if it is beta hemolytic, then proceed and do the strep typing. So this is definitely something that you should keep in mind. And that, my dear audience, is the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed learning about things you can do when you're out of media, when you're, you know, you lack supplies. I hope you enjoy, lear enjoy learning about limb broth and modified Thayer Martin, Martin Lewis. These are good tools that we can use and that we, you know, they can make us better at our jobs. As always, continue educating yourselves. It's so important it will make you better at your job. So, as always, stay motivated. And before I say that, continue bringing that passion to what you do. It's also very important. So stay motivated, stay safe, and of course, continue talking micro. Until the next time. Bye.